Um, just by way of review, reminder, uh, Psalm 117 is part of a psalm that began in 113 to 118. Okay, If you guys even see the outlines, um, is a collection of the psalms where, uh, where the Jews would have read it, they would have sang it during the last week of Christ, or the last week, uh, the week heading towards Passover, and also on Passover night itself, they would have sang this. And I think God allowed it, ordained it in such a way in His sovereignty, so that these actually minister to Jesus Christ. And I think it's not just only minister, but it's also a prediction, and also an encouragement to Jesus Christ to march towards the cross. And I think why we're looking at this is just to appreciate a little bit more, just a little window into the mind of Christ even, of what it was it it was like for him to face to to be encouraged, to be on point, to be focused on the goal of redeeming people for himself including you and I, okay? Psalm 117 is short, okay? It is pretty short. In fact, this is the shortest psalm in the book of Psalms, okay? You guys know how many psalms there are in the book of Psalms? 150, okay? 150, and this is the shortest one. But it's not just only the shortest psalm, it's also the shortest ver- uh, chapter in the whole entire Bible, okay? If you want to know, if you ever play Bible trivia and people ever ask, maybe you go to retreat and people ask, what is the shortest uh, chapter in the whole Bible? Now you know the answer. The shortest chapter in the whole Bible is Psalm 117, okay? Psalms 117, this is the shortest verse in the whole Bible, okay? Uh, but I think when it's when it's short, it's not because it's oh not important. But I think it, the reason why it's short is also to use a short economy of words so that everything that is stated is important for us to say. Okay, um, just like sometimes, right? If our boss, we could have so much details, um, but if there's not a clear, succinct statement, we could easily be like, oh, what what does he want? Uh, what does our boss want? Right. But also, I think there's a place for nuance, right? You have to be uh, clarity of nuance, right? You don't want to be one-sided at times. But there's also times where you just need to stop and just say, what is the main point? And this is where Psalm 117 fits in. Psalm 117 fits in here. And I think it is actually quite important. And I think it fits perfectly to remind Jesus what is His goal, okay? So tonight, in light of this, though it's only two verses, uh, I think it's actually pretty profound. And some of those psalms we've seen, I think they're all profound. But this psalm is also, I think, relates to us. Because it specifically relates to us as Gentiles who are not what, uh, not Jews. And yet God here gives grace to us also as well. And this is what Jesus Christ would have read that night, would have sang that night. Going to the cross would have realized, hey, His purpose is to die for His people. But His people also include what? All of us who are non-Jewish, okay? I don't think anyone here is Jewish online, right? No one's Jewish. I think we're all, what, pig-eating Gentiles, right? Okay, we're, we're non-Jews, okay? And yet God saved us. So this is where a 117 is one of those psalms that remind us like, whoa, it's God's plan already from the back, all the way back in, in, in even Israel history to say you and I would be saved, okay? So these are the two points for tonight, okay? Uh, two points. Point number one, uh... Uh, okay, uh, so we're gonna see these two points uh, of really the uh, of the pur- of the goal of the Messiah. Okay, I actually miswrote the purpose statement. Okay, uh, these are the two points. Number one is we need to know the goal of the Messiah is for the nation to praise God. Okay, that the goal of the Messiah is for the nations to who to praise God. Okay, that's in verses one, and in verses two we need to know the goal of the Messiah is to display God's loving kindness. Okay. Point number two is we need to know the goal of the Messiah is to display God's 
loving kindness. Okay, these things are all interconnected. Okay, uh, with that, but with each verse, I think this is very important. And think about it for a moment. When Christ died, I don't think he was just thinking, "Oh, I'm just only saving the Jews." I think in his mind, he's doing things for the glory of God, but also to save all of us. That is all of us that of the nations of the world also as well. And this is why I think it's important to read because to realize that, wow, this is the depth of God's love. This is the depth of God's care. When we're going through trials, when we're going through tribulation, when we're in a time of uncertainty, we need to, I think the number one objective proof that God loves us and cares for us is the cross, okay? God loves us does not mean we will always have perfect health. God loves us does not always mean we will have a lot in our finance, God's love for us does not mean we will have a lot of things in terms of the material metrics that the world measure of what is worldly success or successful or blessing. Okay, So the number one thing we need to see of God's love and care for us in a time such as these or a time of all kinds of trial is actually to see these two points, the goal of the Messiah. Okay, So let's look at point number one. Uh, point number one is we need to know the goal of the Messiah is for the nations to praise God. Okay? Look with me in verses 1. Uh, let me read this again. It says, Praise the Lord, all nations. Laud Him, all people. Okay? So verses 1 actually gives us two commands. Okay? There's two verbs that's a command. And what I mean by command is telling us what to do. It's not giving a statement of fact. It's not even giving us suggestions. It's giving us two commands saying, Hey, you must do this. Okay? You who are listening, you must do this. Okay? The first one it says is, Praise the Lord. Okay? Uh, I think most of us probably, if I ask you guys, what is Hebrew word? What is the Hebrew term for praise the Lord? I think most of us know it, right? If you go to church anytime, uh, for any length of time, it begins with H. What is it? Hallelujah, okay? Um, this hallelujah is actually shortened form of Yahweh, okay? Hallelujah is the emphasis of praise. But this one is actually a little bit longer. Um, so there's a lot of hallelujahs in Psalm 113 to 118. But this one is actually, uh, instead of just hallelujah, it's hallelujah uh, Yahweh, okay? And the, the, it is a command, uh, it is imperative verb. So it's telling us to command. It's, in fact, it's actually in the PL stem, which I think is intensive. Idea is to say like, hey, you really must involve all of who you are involved with praising uh, Yahweh, involved with praising God, Jehovah, which is his personal name of his character, okay? So the phrase here uh, in this command here is using uh, his name and it tells us that God is worthy of what? Praise, okay? Worthy of praise. Let's look at the second command also in the second line, okay? Hebrew poetry is not so much of rhyme with every line, but it's just showing the relationship of one line to the second line and the third line, okay? So the second line also gives a command. Uh, in the New American Standard Bible version, which most of us use tonight, it says laud him, okay? What does laud mean? It actually has the idea of singing to God, okay? So of singing to God. When we praise Him, we don't just speak about Him, but there's a command also as well that we sing. And we sing joyfully in praise and honor and in worship of who He is. Uh, same thing, just like the first verb, it's also a command. It's a command telling us this is what we have to do, okay? Um, and of course, in the context, Him, it's a pronoun. We know in the context this is talking about, obviously, it's God, okay? But I, I think when you look at these Psalms, um, when you look at this verse, you might say, okay, uh, I don't know how many of you guys ever read Psalm 117, and you could easily read past through, right? You could easily read through because it's just so short, and you feel like, oh, it's saying nothing new, nothing extraordinary. It's so short, it's almost like um, a Hallmark card kind of thing, right? It's almost like you could tweet this whole entire psalm 
uh, in Twitter, what, what was the limit for Twitter? Twitter's like, what, 120, 140 words, okay? You almost feel like, man, maybe I could tweet the whole thing. But yet, at the same time, I think when you pay attention to details, it is actually very enriching in a theology of grace, okay? The, my next question is, after we've seen these two commands to praise Him and to laud Him, my next question is, who is this command for? Who is this command for, okay? Whenever we read the Old Testament, we do need to pay attention of who is this command for, because if we are not careful, sometimes we can misapply. For instance, today, should we um, do uh, some of the ceremonial cleaning, cleansing thing? No, because what? It's talking original context is Israel, that kind of thing, okay? Um, and also because the New Testament say those things are, are no longer the case anymore because Christ has fulfilled it. But looking at this, we ask the question, who is this command for? Is it only for the Jews? Is this for the, the guy that's speaking to himself to do this? The psalmist, the original author, whoever he is? Is, is, this, is this for all of us? Is this for the church today also as well? So let's look at the recipient of these commands, okay? It actually states this. First and foremost, to look at the first line again in verse 1. The ver first line of verse 1 shows us the clear referent of who it is that's supposed to praise God. Do you guys see that part? It says, all nations, okay? By the way, uh, the Greek, the, the Hebrew word for uh, Gentiles, the Hebrew word for Gentiles is not Gentile. It's actually Goyim. Goyim is basically in Hebrew means the nations, okay? So it basically means the nations, okay? Just in case uh, you don't know who he's talking about, it even makes it very clear. It says all the nations, okay? It's not just talking about Israel. It's just not talking about the 12 tribes of, uh, of Israel, okay? This is talking about all the nations, okay? It's all-encompassing, okay? The call to praise God is nothing new. But what is new about this verse, because if you look with me, look, actually turn with me real quick to Psalm 113, verse 1. Uh, Josh, if you can, uh, so I can catch my breath, read Psalm 113, verse 1 out loud. Psalm 113. Verse 1. Praise the Lord, praise all servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Yeah, so here in verses 1, we see this is not unusual. This is where we get the hallelujah uh, here, okay? Um, and here we see that who's called to... Praise Him is actually the servants of God. You might ask the question, is that Israel? Is that the Levites? Is that the priests? Okay. I think it's, as you see more in the details, it's talking about all of those that decide to follow after God, who fears God in the context. Okay. Can I but, skip the outline? Say again. Can I skip the outline? Uh, we only have two verses in Psalm 117. Yeah, you can skip that outline. Okay. It was just a tool just to follow along. Okay, Josh? Um, so okay. here in verses 1, um, we see that it's nothing unusual of praising God, but what is something that is unique about Psalm 117 is not just now saying it's Israel that praised God, but it's all the nations. So turn back with me to Psalm 117, verses 1, okay? And I think this is radical, okay? This is a radical call. When you're telling people to praise the true and living God, Israel's neighbor during this time, were most of them believing in the God of the Bible? Obviously, no, okay? In fact, did they believe in only one God most of the time? In Israel's history, their neighbors? The answer again is no, okay? Now, the neighbors has changed in Israel. Most of them are Islamic, so they do believe in the idea, at least, of one God, okay? But historically, this would have been very radical to say, hey, the nations will praise God, okay? It's a call for the nation. And part of it also, well, could you imagine for us as Gentile, before um, our maybe our, our, our ethnic background before it was Christianized or whatever else it is, is often what is pagan, 
okay? Whether European descent, Asian descent, or whatever else, okay? It is, it is, what I mean by pagan is polytheistic uh, of many gods. So this is a radical call. This would have been a radical call to say, hey, forsake the other gods and follow the true God of the Bible. And I think there's a sense where you're reading this psalm, there is an offensive element also as well. It's a Because it's calling for radical change. Not that God wants to be offensive to be offensive. But as you're saying, hey, there's only true, in reality, there's only one real God. And that real God has now reached out to us. And we should, what? Praise Him, okay? And look at also as well in verses 1, the second line, instead of saying all nations, it says what? All people. All people, I think, is to clarify here uh, just what exactly does he mean when he says all nations, okay? is to further enhance the idea because all people is really synonymous with all nations, okay? Um, earlier in Psalm 115, there's a national focus in Israel. And Psalm 116 is personal. You guys remember we looked at that 116 last time of how like the first three Psalms in this collection is very third person. But then beginning in verses... Uh, 116, it becomes personal. There's a lot more I, and there's actually us also in the psalm here in 117, okay? But here, in looking at this, what we see here is you see that all people, that is, uh, all, uh, and just clarify here, is not just only national Israel, but all people are now called to praise God, okay? Is now all called people to praise God. And looking at, with this already setting in context, reading it, explaining it, and seeing what it means, I think we go further ask the question, how did this minister, what was this like in the context of Jesus Christ with the Last Supper? As he's reading this, as he's really their worship leader, leading them in the songs of worship. And these psalms are also ministering to him, preparing for the cross, but also preparing his disciples. And even for us today, saying, hey, how does this fit in, in anticipating the work of Christ? Okay. First and foremost, Jesus. When Jesus came on earth, was he only for those that were Jewish? What do you guys think? Did he try to reach out to other different group of people that were non-Jewish? There was not a lot, but there is moments where he reached to the Gentiles also as well, okay? Um, turn with me real quick to John chapter 10, verse 16. Again, John chapter 10, verse 16 would have been taking place in the last week of Christ's life. Remember, the last week of Christ's life, the Jews will be reading these Psalms, uh, each one every night, uh, culminating in the climax of Passover night where they read the whole entire Psalms. And then the religious high priest would have been sacrificing the animals uh, for to sacrifice to God in, in Jerusalem. And they would have also, the Levites would have been singing this, including the high priest, as you go approaching the holies of holies, okay? So this is incredible. They're putting the words of the mouth as we saw even Sunday. These are prophecies in Psalm 118. Very, very clear. It's one of the second most quoted uh, Psalms uh, or Old Testament passage in New New Testament, Psalms 118. So when you guys turn with me real quick to John chapter 10, verse 16. In the last week of Christ's life, he said this, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. Who are these other sheeps? I would say is actually Gentiles. Okay? It is actually Gentiles. So Jesus' teaching in his last week, Think about this. He's teaching his followers also as well. Hey, it's not just only national Israel anymore. He's saying there's other sheep outside the fold. It's outside of Israel too. 
And along the way, the Jews are seeing this. And the Jews, I, I know, like, remember even Peter, even after being a disciple of Christ, even after the Christ's resurrection, he still struggled to understand what? The multi-ethnic dimension. Do you remember when he God gave him a vision in the book of Acts 10, right? Uh, and then he had to go to Cornelius, right? And then he, who was a, a, a Gentile soldier, Roman soldier. And then God had to give a vision, like, eat this, eat this food. And he's like, no, 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 I don't eat these. I'm Jewish. And then God's saying, no, kill and eat. And then before he realized, oh, God really is including everyone. When God including everyone doesn't mean you become ethnic Jews, be circumcised, all this. God is reaching people just as they are and incorporating them in believing and following God as Gentiles as they are, so long as they're obeying God's moral law. Okay? So Jesus Christ is teaching this, and what better way to reinforce this they would have heard this. Of course, we don't know always if their eyes were uh, blinded to this, right? But it would have incorporated the teaching that Jesus' idea of God reaching Gentiles so that Gentiles would praise God is not something Jesus invented new, but is actually Jesus is going consistent with the Scriptures itself. Specifically, it was Psalm 117. It would have been the atmosphere that the people would have read this and realized, oh, God's the Messiah's death is more than just for Jews, but it's for all of us uh, Gentiles also as well. I don't know about you, but this actually makes me love Christ, right? That while we're yet enemies, while we're yet foreigners, God accept us for we are. We don't have to be circumcised. All you men who believe in Christ, aren't you so blessed? We don't have to we have, keep it rated G for godliness because I have young ones, right? Um, aren't you so glad you don't have to be circumcised, right? Could you imagine? Um you know, if you were never circumcised before, and then all of a sudden you're an adult, okay? But that's another sermon, another time. We'll explain more. Girls, when you guys are older, okay? Uh, or I'm talking to my daughters now, okay? But also as well, Christ earlier in his ministry talked about the gospel going to all the nations. Remember that? Turn with me to Matthew 24, verses 14. Matthew 24, verse 14. Matthew 24, verses 14. Uh, Jin, could you read that out loud for me? Oh. Matthew 24, verse 14. Matthew 24, 14. Yes. And this good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. Yeah, this is talking about the church's job is to tell the gospel, the good news to what all kinds of people, right? Uh, so when we're involved, we you know as Christians, what do we do? We reach out those locally in our local community, but also globally, also as well. This is why we do missions, is to fulfill the Great Commission. One of the signs that we're getting closer to day and age is when to all to the ends of the earth, all over the nations, there's those, not that every individual knows the gospel, have heard of it, but that there is more ready access of people group knowing that, okay? Knowing the gospel. I think we're actually approaching it much more closer in the last 150 years uh, with, with different missionary movements. I think God has reached people in such ways in incredible numbers, okay? So here uh, we see that we are to go make disciples of all nations. But then you might ask, oh, will it be successful? I mean, it's so hard to reach other culture, everything else, and people group, they have their own way. Yes, it is because of the grace of God. But Psalm 117 also affirmed that, right? When Jesus Christ, listen, when Jesus Christ teaches here that all the nations, 
that we must go to the other nations to tell them about Jesus Christ, to teach them. Did making disciples mean making them students, followers of Christ? Will we be successful? Yeah, Psalm 117 verse 1 tells us that nations would actually worship God. Okay, The fact today that when you look at today, our churches, right? none of us here are Jewish. Most Christians today are Gentiles. Right, whether you're Asian background or, or Hispanic or, or whatever else, or Caucasian or Anglo, whatever else, is because of the grace and mercy of God. It's the fulfillment of Psalm 117, verses 1, where God is calling a nation to praise after the true and living God. And even in Jesus' ministry, there are already hints that Jesus Christ, He cared not just only for the Jews. Okay, There is a place for the Jews, God's holy people, because the Messiah has, you know, anyone could say they're a Messiah, right? Anyone could fake it. But then in order to fulfill it, you have to fulfill specific genealogy. You have to be number one Jewish, but not just Jewish. You have to be what? From the tribe of Judah, out of those 12 tribes. But then you can't just be anyone. You have to be from the line of David. But you can't be any uh, one from David because there's a lot of bad kings from David. Then it had to be from Zerubbabel. Then it narrows it down to Jesus Christ that's fulfilled, okay? But in Jesus' ministry, did he reach out to those that were different, of different ethnicities? The answer is yes, okay? Turn with me real quick to John 4. Okay, we're, we're going to do a, a flyby, quick flyby. We're not going to look at the whole verse. John chapter 4. What kind of people group is there? Samaritan, okay? Samaritan. Samaritans were actually a mutt people. They were mixed Jewish, mixed with other things, and then they mixed their uh, Christianity up, okay? They actually don't hold to the whole Bible, okay? And the, the, the Samaritans get along with the Christians, uh, uh, the Jews? No. And it's both ways, okay? We actually have, by the way, you guys know Samaritans? Um, no longer exists, but we actually have the writings, okay? Uh, if you ever study textual criticism, you know, the reliability of the Bible. Um, I remember when I was working on my second master's, when I was taking Old Testament textual criticism, that is dealing with how do you know the manuscript is reliable. We have to look at the uh, original, the ancient translation, not just in Hebrew, but they actually have the Samaritan Pentateuch also as well. And they help record it very accurately. So you look at all of this and you see like, oh, actually the Bible hasn't had this major change. Or sometimes you hear people say, you know, Da Vinci Code, TV shows, that kind of thing, or movies, that kind of thing. Okay, But here we see in John 4, Samaritans. Did Jesus reach out to this woman? Yeah, okay. By the way, if you read the Jewish rabbi during this time, they had writings. They were actually pretty racist, okay? Um they really look down upon Samaritan women. They also say, hey, no Jew should ever go to Samaritan house. You can never be accepted by God because they think that the Samaritans bury their own dead in their own house and that the women always have a period so you can never touch. If you touch, you're like unholy before God. There's a lot of very prejudicial stuff uh, uh, with the Jewish religious leaders of their day. So when you look at Jesus, when you see how harsh he is, remember the context. Jesus is not just being harsh out of nowhere because if we read the original writing, man, these people were not very biblical, okay? By the way, you know in Jewish rabbi writing, you can look it up, Google. They believe you could divorce your wife for any reason. If your wife burns your food, and it serves you food, and it's all burned. Um, we Christians would say, you, know, you come to me as a pastor, and you say, man, I'm really mad at my wife. She burned my food. What do you think I'll say? Well, uh, my wife says, make your own food, okay? <laughs> But I would say, hey, be gracious, be loving, right? Be gentle, forgive, and, and won't you cook then if, if you're much better? But did you know what the Jewish rabbi said? The Jewish rabbi said, oh, actually, grounds for divorce. You could divorce her if she burned your food. That's like 
Where do you see that in scripture? That's a little extra biblical oral tradition, okay? But when we see what Jesus Christ done is he did not go by what is popular. He reaches out to the Samaritan woman, okay? He reaches out to the Samaritan woman. He showed her care. He forgave her of her sin. He accepted her and also told her about the hope. And then she goes and tells everyone else, okay? So he, you see here, Jesus' love is for the nations. He reaches the nation. There's no place, listen, for Christians, for racism or even for ethnic superiority, okay? For ethnic superiority also as well, okay? You guys can hear me okay? Uh, with everything, okay? So here we see... I can hear you. Okay. So here we also see, even in Jesus' ministry, other hints also as well. If you guys could turn with me, if you guys are still in the book of John, look with me in John chapter 12, verse 20 to 21, okay? John chapter 12, verses 20 to 21, okay? John chapter 12, verses 20 to 21. Uh, John chapter 12, verses 20 to 21. Uh, Josh, you want to read that out loud for me? These then came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and began to ask him, Sir, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Okay, and in verses 20, what we read earlier is what? There were some Greeks who were going to worship at the feast, okay? To worship God. And then when they heard about Jesus, they asked one of the followers of Jesus, Philip, not not our Philip, but the, the apostle Philip, okay? They say, hey, could we talk to Jesus? Now, did Jesus accept him or did they reject him? They spoke to him and Jesus ministered, okay? So you see here that Jesus was not, when his view was even in his ministry, was to reach out to all people. It was not just only. Now, let me look at one more. This one is a little more controversial. But I think when Jesus is being tough, is he's actually doing this for a purpose of teaching, okay? Remember we've seen thus far, Jesus cares for all kinds of people, all the nations, okay? Turn with me right now to Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 to 28. So we've already established Jesus cared about the nation, okay? So because when we read here, you might say, oh wait, Jesus is very unloving. No, I think what Jesus is doing when he's tough, he's actually to give, to trying to uh, encourage this woman to have faith. And also is a lesson for us also as well to make us stop. Hey, what is going on? Okay, not not that Jesus is rejecting her. Okay, Matthew fifteen, uh, Matthew fifteen, verses twenty one to twenty eight. This is the uh, Cyril Phoenician Phoenician woman. Okay, she's a Gentile. She is not a a, a Jew. Okay, in uh, this passage here, uh, Josh, you look like you want to read that verses twenty one to twenty eight. You want to read that. Then Jesus said to her, Woman, your faith is great. Today 
shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. Yeah. Pretty controversial at first, right? You might say, wait, does Jesus, like, is he not being nice? I mean, he called her a dog, okay? He calls her a dog. And by the way, did you catch none of the disciples had any problems with it, right? If they said any one thing here, they say, hey, send her away. She's a, you know, pig-eating Gentile. She's dirty, okay? But yet, what do you see? Jesus says, hey, I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. But then we saw, see scripture, like, no. He's not just only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. He reaches out to Gentiles. What's going on here? I think what he's trying to do is to let her understand the depth of God's grace. And now even those outside of Israel are being saved. And also to inspire her to really what? Uh, I think the mark of true faith is humility, right? Is a mark of humility. This is why I think sometimes it's so dangerous whenever you see celebrities become Christians. They face a additional... Uh, we want celebrities to become Christian, but there's a face additional temptation of what? That suddenly everyone's giving them all the attention, right? Suddenly people want them to start churches. Look at Kanye, right? Suddenly, you know, um, there's so much pressure, right? For them to say, oh, you do so many great things for Jesus, right? And everything else, right? Um, Kanye was actually with a master seminary pastor from Placerita Baptist. You guys ever been to retreat with Masters College, University with us before? For our church, we right the church right before you get to Master University is actually the pastor. He just went there, he was just so broken. He just wanted to go to church where there's nobody famous or anything. And the guy was discipling, but then guess what? As soon as the world knows, wow, all these big name celebrity preachers come over and say, Hey, you come with me. You have a bigger window, right? Joel Olson comes over and says, Hey, speak with us. And it's hard to disciple. There's that temptation, there's that struggle. So a mark of true belief uh, uh, a mark of true faith is also humility. So we see that her faith was great. She realized she didn't deserve to be saved. She was saying, hey, if I were to be a dog, even to get uh, from the crumbs from my master is a great thing. And that should be for us too. That's, I think, a part of being a Christian. Is when we're a Christian, we're not about being our own selves being great, but about who being great. Jesus Christ being great. But it's about Him, not about us. He, and he increased instead of I, okay? So here we see in the same way, yet I think when he's doing all this, it's not to say he was not reaching out, it's to encourage her to actually have true, genuine faith in, in him because he commands her, okay? But then if you guys turn back with me to Psalm 117. Psalm 117. Do you remember the first verse? Did we not see this earlier? That God wants to go of the Messiah. Our first point is what? That praise of the nations, that the nations will praise him. And imagine the night that Christ is going to die. He's, I think, thinking about God. But I think he also, in light of what we saw in John chapter 10 about sheep, other sheep that's not in this fold, he's thinking about Gentiles. I think he also had in view us, that he would die on the cross for our sin. Not us in a sense of he's worshiping us, but in a sense of like, oh, it's about God the Father first. And also, oh, he also loves you and I also as well. Saving all of us. Incredible song, okay? In light of this, I think as application, we ask application in light of this verse, okay? What is the application from this? Do you see God's plan of saving the nations? Do you see this, okay? If so, you have been commissioned by God to participate in the Great Commission. Because the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, says what? Go therefore and make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, okay? So when we ever, so we need to realize God's plan is not just only for Elmani, right, or our local LA County, but it's what the world. Okay. By the way, I also want to encourage you guys. Anytime you guys have an opportunity to go overseas, is what to share the gospel. I love the pastor before me. 
the pastor at our church before I became the pastor was a pastor named Andrew. When I was a young man in the military, he told me like, what? Wow, it's so cool in the military. If you go overseas, you better be evangelizing. I was, huh, well, yeah. And he says, you better be evangelizing. Let it be that the government pays for your evangelism. So I remember when I was going to Iraq, I met him in 2002. I went to Iraq 2003. I barely met him. I just only met him once. He just told me. The first time he met me, he was like, oh, if you're going to be a military, you better be a Marine for Christ. I was like, oh, yeah, amen. Okay. So going over to Iraq, I barely met this guy. And he was sending what? Sending me all these tracts in Arabic, okay? Telling me, hey, you better be sharing the gospel. So all these different countries, right? Japan, whatever, been, uh, he's always sending me tracts. And then telling me, also order my own tracts to drop it off everywhere, all these places with that, okay? Why? Why should we do that? It's because the program we see is God wants the nations to know the gospel, okay? To know the gospel, okay? Secondly, as application, are you thankful to God that He saved non-Jews? Because the fact that you and I are saved is because of God's grace, okay? It is God's grace. We are just like the Phoenician woman. Before we say, hey, you know, uh, you know she's a dog, like, hey, we are the same, right? We are sinful dogs that God has saved us, okay? We are not righteous, okay? We, even as Christians, know what's the right thing to do, and yet we struggle. So yet God's saving us is surely because of His grace, okay? And third point, application question, when was the last time you shared the gospel? To anyone, okay? When was, the, when was the last time you shared the gospel to someone that's different than you, okay? Sometimes we could easily, what? I know I have this sinful things too. Sometimes at PCC, when I go evangelize college campus, you know, sometimes you see certain guys, their hair is crazy, you know, they look like they're in the 80s punk rock, you know, with the hair like spiked up. And they, oh, sure, that guy doesn't need the gospel. The guy's probably going to reject me. He looks like he's crazy, you know, with his shirt, bad religion. I remember this one time, I was just so focusing on sharing the gospel, uh, everything that the guy comes over, I just ignored him because I thought, oh, he's here to mock. And then he was listening. And, you know, he had the bad religion uh, band shirt, which has a symbol of the cross upside down. But he was listening. And he, I was thinking, hey, this guy's not yelling, screaming at me, what I'm expecting, what I'm used to. And then he was like, hey, you make a lot of point. I really need to think about this. And my mom and dad is Christian. And maybe I need to think about this more. I was like, oh, whoa. And here I am, judgmental. Thinking, oh, already this guy could never uh, accept the gospel. He's already made up his mind. Listen, my brothers and sisters, we need to share the gospel, even to those that are different. And Jesus is our model. He reached the Samaritan woman, the Syrian Phoenician or the Canaanite woman, right? He reached the Greeks. Listen, we need to be all people to all people, my brothers and sisters, okay? We need to be all people to all people, okay? Uh, to the uh, uh, down and outers, right? Uh, to, to the up and inners also as well. We reach them all for Jesus, okay? So we need to see this is God's plan. Let's go to the second point. Our second point, what we see here is we in Psalm 117 is... Uh, Verse 2, point number 2 is we need to know the goal of the Messiah is to display God's loving kindness. Okay, Our first point earlier is we need to know the goal of the Messiah is what? To bring in the praise uh, of God from the Gentiles or the nations. We need to see number 2 is we need to see the goal of the Messiah is to display God's what? Loving kindness. Okay, To show uh, that with that. Now, our question is this. Why would God... Um, remember verse 1? We already see very clearly the nations would praise God. Yes? That's what God wants. But why would these people praise God, especially when it's God of the Jews, and they're not Jewish? Why? Is it because God is strong and mighty? Is that a reason to praise God? I think, yeah, right? But let me ask even a further question. In Israel history, has God ever displayed His mighty power and His mighty power to judge, and yet the nations did not praise God? Could you guys think of any, any, any instance? 
I think of the story of Exodus. You guys remember that? God brought in the ten plagues to to Egypt. But did Pharaoh really praise God? No. Okay. So the way now God is going to bring make people praise God is going to be focused in verses two. Is actually with love by showing love. Okay, by showing love so that the nation would be see God's love and therefore love Him back. Okay. Verse two says this: For His loving kindness is great towards us, and the truth of the Lord is everlasting. Praise the Lord. The word for is therefore reason in verse two, which is what to give us a reason. It's giving us a reason earlier, verse 1, the command. Praise Him, laud Him, which is to sing to Him. Why? Now verse 2 gives us the reason why. You and I, even though we're not Jewish, we should praise the God of the Jews. Why is that? There's many reasons. He's a true living God, yes, okay. But it ultimately needs to be focused on the fact that He loves us. He cares for us. He shows His loving kindness, okay. Uh, We see here, reason number one stated is God is loving. Do you see the word? His loving kindness, okay. Um, that is a very rich Hebrew word, okay? We've done a word study before, um, a few years back, if you go to Sermon Audio, we did a three-part series on studying the word loving-kindness. It's a Hebrew word. Um, loving-kindness in Hebrew is one word. It's actually more idea, better, of faithful love, okay? Uh, think about, like, for instance, in marriage, okay? Uh, I should be lovingly faithful to my wife, okay? Faithfully loving her, okay? And yet, that's the kind of love that God has shown us, those who are Gentiles also as well, okay? It says here, loving kindness is great towards us. You guys see the word great? Uh, by the way, the word loving kindness is already seen in these collection of Psalms. For instance, if you look at 115, verse 1, it already says of God's loving kindness, okay? But here, you know what's the difference? It adds the detail that His loving kindness is great, okay? It is great. It is of a high quality, okay? It is, it is not the same way as a faithful husband to his wife. Yes, there's a parallel, but it's even greater than that, okay? It is even greater than that if we're putting uh, next to each other. Qualitatively and quantitatively greater, okay? So God, why we should praise Him is number one, He is loving and faithful in His love. Number two is God is faithful. It says, and the truth of the Lord is everlasting, okay? It says the word truth, but I think the word truth is more emphasizing His faithfulness, okay? He is faithful, how long does God's faithfulness to His promise last for? How long does it last for? It says here is everlasting. Okay. By the way, if you think about it, if we're faithful only for a little bit, we're really not what faithful. Okay. Let's just say, oh, you know what? I'll be faithful uh, to do what my boss tell me to do only for ten days, and after ten days of work, I'm gonna no longer be faithful. Would you actually, in your performance evaluation, would you be actually someone be measured as someone that's faithful? Obviously not. But with God, notice how long is He faithful for? It says everlasting. That is, is forever and for a long time. Okay? I want to pay attention to, uh, I think, an interesting phrase here. If you look at verses 2, do you see the phrase towards us? You see the phrase towards us? The question then is, who is us? Who is us referring to? If you look at verses 1, it already talked about what? The nations, right? And verses 2 really is giving us the reason why. So that means for Gentiles. But I love how it says, it didn't say, uh, you know, it did, I, I like what verse 2, what it does not say. Verse 2 did not say, for His loving kindness is great towards Gentiles. Us. So it's more than just Gentiles. It's more than just the nations. It's more than just you and I, non-Jews. Who does this us include? I think it include those that were Jews. Because early, remember Psalm 115. I already talked about, praise God, hallelujah, for His loving kindness. In the context that's national Israel, 
because it's repeating the history of how God has been faithful with Exodus, with being in the desert, God still provided for them, all of that. So notice how inclusive this passage is, Jews and Gentiles. But I also want to press this even further. I think this also would have included Jesus Christ. You see, when the last night before Christ was going to die, when he read this psalm, he led them singing this psalm. But he also knows that he's going to die for our sins. And he knows he's going to die a very painful death. Ways that you and I could never imagine, or perhaps he can't even fully imagine in his humanity also as well. To face the full wrath of God, to be separated from God. But when Christ went through that death, could he have assurance that he would be resurrected three days later? Yes, okay. There's prophecies related to that, or typology related to that, that he'll be raised on the third day. He knows there will be. But then in order to believe that, he needed to believe in the promise of who? The faithfulness of God the Father. Okay? So I think this psalm ministered to him. Think about that night. If anything, if you read the last night of Jesus Christ's life, you see that, man, he had no human help that night. True or not? He had no human help. Number one, one of his disciples is going to betray him. Right? Who is that? Judas. Okay? Betray him for money. Okay? I was reading to my daughters a new uh, storybook that I got from the publishers um, before it came out. Uh, trying to copy and One of my daughters asked, like, why did Judas betray Jesus? I said, yeah, why? For 30 shekels. By the way, is 30 shekels of silver a lot? If you look at the Old Testament, 30 shekels is what you pay if you accidentally hurt someone's servant. Okay? Someone's slave. You know, if, you, if your cow accidentally gorged him, then that's how much you pay for injury. Okay? That's not a lot. If you think about it, if you're saying you're going to betray Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, for 30 shekels, you know what you're saying about Him? He's nothing more to you. The value of Him is just nothing more than what? A slave. A servant. What an appropriate title for Jesus Christ, the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, is He not? The servant who will suffer and die for us. Think about the rest of His followers who didn't betray Him. Okay, When they went to pray, were they able to pray with Him that night? To pray for what he'll face? No, they're falling asleep. Then when the soldiers came and Judas gave the betrayal kiss, they all fled. Except for two. Who is that? John and Peter. Now just before you hit Peter, Peter was at least courageous enough to follow after those Romans, uh, uh, the Jewish soldiers, taking him away. Remember when he went? The, uh, the problem with Peter is that he's courageous, but there's that's a good thing. But the bad thing is he opened his mouth sometimes a little too much, right? If you remember the story, right? Uh, all the servants there um, outside the uh, the Jewish religious leader's house, they recognized him because he was standing next to the fire to stay warm. And also he opened his mouth. They're like, hey, you're, you have an accent from Galilee. Hey, we know you're not from around here. You're not from, uh, you're from Galilee. You're not from Judah. You're not native to Jerusalem. And you must be a follower, right? And then he betrayed him, right? Betrayed him in the presence of Jesus Christ, saying, I do not know him. He probably even swore, okay, in the context. So all that, in the moment, nobody was there. John was there quietly, with the, with the, later on with uh, Mary, uh, the mother of Jesus, right? Seeing the death of Christ, unable to do much. And yet, you've seen this moment, well, you know what ministered to Christ? I think is the Psalms. It's Psalm 117. When it says here, when it says here in verses 2, For His loving kindness is great towards us. You know what Jesus Christ is saying? He's identifying with us. Does that blow your mind away? 
Does that blow your mind away? That Christ is singing a song that also He relates to us. We're supposed to sing this. We're, we're, even Gentiles are supposed to sing to Him. We're supposed to sing to God. But the question we ask is, did Jesus Christ worship too? Number one, Jesus Christ worshiped just as we do. Why? Because He has to do everything we're supposed to do without sin, okay? In His humanity. He does everything we're supposed to do, yes? Even when He was born, His mom had to also make sure He was passively righteous, right? By fulfilling that on the eighth day, He needed to be circumcised to the, to the, uh, the Jewish law, to the T, without any no sin. So Jesus Christ must worship the same way we do. But I think it's also beautiful that He relates to us by singing the very songs that we sing. Um, I know uh, this is a question that might be some Americans don't know because we are we only know about America outside of America. We have weak geography, myself included, right? Let me ask you guys this question. You guys can answer me. Anyone here knows the national anthem for um, for England? Anyone here knows what's the national anthem for England? My wife says, "God save the Queen." Yeah, that is okay. Uh, yeah, uh, Ben and Noah. Yeah, Ben and Noah. You guys were in Hong Kong system before. Uh, I know you guys grew up probably pre nineteen ninety seven. Do you guys know this before? Because I know sometimes you guys know things like 5th of November, Guy Fox Day, that kind of thing. Anyone knew God Save the Queen? Okay, alright. So, uh, I know God Save the Queen. Yeah. I have a funny story with that. Uh, when I was in seminary, I had a, uh, I had a classmate. He was a doctor from England. Um, and he went to preach at a church in Alhambra. It was a Hungarian-American uh, church. It was like a lot of immigrants from Hungary, okay? Uh, the country Hungary, okay? Um, and so they asked him to be a guest speaker on 4th of July. Yeah, and they were not thinking that my uh, my friend, uh, my friend was an English guy. So then they asked him, "Oh, before you pray, could you say, could you pray, uh, thank God that America won the War of Independence, right?" So my friend is like, "Oh, I don't know what to do." Okay, so he does that because he's polite and he doesn't really think America was right to break away. So he's praying for this, right? And the second thing he did after that was also they told him, "Oh, also, uh, they sang a uh, uh, what's that hymn?" Um, uh. God shed your grace on, or one of the, you know, I don't remember what it is, but God Save the Queen is uh, American Hail the Chief, okay? So they sang that song too. So he was thinking, hey, this is our national anthem, and you Americans give me a second insult by ruining it, okay? Do you guys know that in England, when you go to England, um, when you say God Save the Queen, let me ask you guys a question. Does the Queen sing? No. No, the Queen does not sing. Every subject of England sings, Okay. Every subject sings. But you know what I find so beautiful about Jesus Christ, our King? Is that when we're supposed to stand and sing for God and sing to Jesus Christ, guess what else? Jesus Christ Himself sings those songs as well to relate to us. And applying it to us also as well, and applying it to Himself. When He read that verse, when it says, For His loving kindness is great towards us, Yes, it is true. He will face the full wrath of God. He will face abandonment by God like no one else has ever faced. Okay? Before, after, and, and, and of all eternity. Because He took on the full wrath of God for the sin of the world. Not just as an, one individual. For the sin of the world. He would experience the separation from God like no one else would ever do. But yet He also believed on the third day God will be faithful. Raising Him from the dead. So in looking at this, this minister to Him. But also realize, if there's anyone that this verse looked like it's so close to breaking a promise to, it's him. But it's not. It didn't. It's a question of when. And by the way, in light of this, I think this minister to me as well. We need to also realize God's loving kindness and faithfulness does not look the same with every individual. Do you guys realize that? 
God's loving kindness towards us might look very different with some individual. For some, God might bring this allow disability. And we see, for those, you see the God's loving kindness display in a very different way. And then for some, it might be something else. And for, so everyone's loving kindness of God is different, okay? So there's no formula. You cannot go and say to people and say, the Bible says, oh, if you believe in God, you, you will never have coronavirus. Not true. Not true at all. But you could say that, you know what? God is greater than coronavirus, and God cares to save us all the time for eternity. And God could use coronavirus to bring others to Himself. Some cases He heals, and some cases He doesn't, to bring them home to the Lord. But here we see one thing is clear, an example of Jesus Christ. God is lovingly kind towards all of us, that He saved Jews and Gentiles, that He saved us from the fate of hell, that if we trust in Him, He saves us from that. As application, do you praise God and thank God for His loving kindness and His faithfulness? When was the last time you went to God, not just only a prayer request for what you want, but also say, Lord God, thank you for saving me. Thank you for being lovingly kind to me. Secondly, does your response to the love of God include loving Christ and the triune God, right? Do you respond back to by loving Him. Thirdly, also as well, if you struggle with doubting God's love and faithfulness, I think this is where we always have to go to the cross. Okay? We always have to go to the cross. That's the objective historical event that shows us that Christ truly loves us. Number four, if you struggle with doubting God's love, go to the cross, like I said. And fifth application, if you trusted in God, have you trusted in Jesus as God's display of love and kindness today? These would be the Psalms he read. Knowing that when it says His love is loving kindness is great, Jesus Christ is going to go to the cross. His mission is to take that loving kindness of God and take it to the next level by dying for our sins. Let me stop at this point and 